So, anybody know what Wednesday is? You better know more than that, KJ. Ain't that right, Tracy? Huh? <laughs> Church, that's good. What else? Valentine's Day, amen. Hey, in view of Valentine's Day, this Wednesday, February the 14th, men, listen up. Do not forget Valentine's Day. For your wife or for your girlfriend, do not forget to express your love to your wife or to your girlfriend. But you know, it seemed especially relevant, fitting to share on, in view of Valentine's Day about God's plan for marriage. The state of Nevada is known as two things. Nevada is known as the wedding capital of the world, but it's also known as the divorce capital of the world. And I read that in Reno, Nevada, you can actually go to jewelry stores there and you can rent a wedding ring. Now I thought to myself, why on earth would somebody want to rent a wedding ring? Well, the reason is, is many of the couples that get married there, they say, well, it's much more practical to rent because these marriages are only going to last for a very limited time. Now, that, don't, that sounds kind of bizarre to me. But then I recalled this statistic in 2021. The Census Bureau stated that approximately 37% of all marriages end in divorce. Nearly half. Two-thirds of second marriages end in divorce. Three-quarters of third marriages end in divorce. But what really surprises me is to hear of non-Christian couples who get married and seem to defy the odds by remaining in a semi-happy marriage, even though Jesus is not in their marriage. Most non-Christian couples, they shipwreck their marriage before they even know it. But then I was comforted by another study. And I read in this study that many, that most church-going families, not just Christians, but church-going families where both the husband and the wife are growing in their faith, where the husband and wife are worshiping together, where the husband and wife are praying together, only experienced one divorce in every 55 marriages. That's less than 2%. Could it be possible that a family that prays together stays together? I believe it's true. Husbands and wives and parents that look to the creator of marriage, that look to the creator of family, are empowered by him. 
empowered by him to overcome those inevitable obstacles that come against marriages and come against families. But what I really worry about today is that many Christians have kind of gotten in step with the world. Many of those Christians believe that the sanctity of marriage just really doesn't matter much anymore. Some couples believe that marriage is something that you try out for a while, and if it don't suit you, you can bail. Many couples believe that marriage is something you try out, and if it doesn't go your way, well, you can just lay it aside and do your own thing. But I want you to listen carefully to me this morning. Marriage is not an invention of man. Marriage is not some kind of social construct. Marriage is not some kind of social contract. Marriage is God's creation. And marriage is a covenant not only between a man and a woman, but a covenant with God. And so today, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. And we're going to see in Genesis chapter 2, God's premise for creating and planning marriage. On page 4 in the Bibles in front of you, I'm going to be sharing from Genesis chapter 2, just a couple of verses beginning in verse 18. When you're with me, look up at me. Okay, here we go. Verse 18, Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. The first thing I want you to notice here is what God said. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 4, God saw that his creation of light was good. In verse 10, he saw that his creation of dry land was good. In verse 12, he saw that his creation of grass and trees was good. In verse 18, he saw that his creation of the sun and the moon was good. In verse 21, God saw that his creation of fish and the birds was good. 
In verse 25, God saw that his creation of cattle and beasts of the field was good. And then in verse 31, God saw all that he had made. And you know what he said? It is very good. But on that sixth day, God also created man in his own image. But in Genesis 2.18, God sees something that ain't good. God looks at Adam. He said, it's not good that Adam should be alone. In the original language of the Old Testament, the Lord God literally said, aloneness is not good. Aloneness is not good. Now let's stop there for a sec and let's move forward and, and check out the scene. God has created Adam. He has breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And Adam is tending and keeping the Garden of Eden just as he was instructed. But then God gives Adam a special assignment. God said, Adam... I want you to go and name all the animals of the field. I want you to name all the birds of the air and even all the fish that you see in the sea. And so Adam walks around and he looks over there and he says, you look like a squirrel. Looks over there, he don't, he don't get too close, but he says, you look like a hippopotamus. You look like a kangaroo look like a robin you look like a rainbow trout and so Adam names those animals spends all day naming the animals the birds and the fish of the sea and then Adam's wore out so he goes home to rest but while he's on his way home he looks up in the tree and he sees mr. and mrs. robin having made a nest and Mrs. Robin is sitting on the eggs. He goes a little bit further and he sees Mr. and Mrs. Kangaroo. And there's a little Joey in Mrs. Kangaroo's pouch. And then he looks down and, and he sees a rainbow trout. And he sees that the trout is spawning, fertilizing the eggs there in the creek. But Adam is alone. And God saw that, and he said, that's not good. It's not good that Adam is alone. You see, loneliness, y'all, is a pain that really hurts. Loneliness can be this pain in your gut that really, really hurts. Now, I'm not talking about being alone necessarily there are times when i love solitude i don't mind solitude every now and then but that's not what we're talking about here because loneliness can really really hurt you can be in the midst of a hundred people and still feel that kind of loneliness that i'm talking about adam he was lonely and God understood that, 
And he saw it, and he recognized that it was not good for Adam to be alone. So what does he do? He puts Adam into a deep sleep. He takes a rib from his side, and he makes a woman. You see, God's antidote for loneliness is companionship. And God's model for companionship is marriage. So here we have God caring about Adam. God cared that Adam was lonely. And so what did he do? He created a solution. He created a solution. God's solution for the aloneness of Adam is found in the second part of verse 18. Where God says, I will make a helper comparable to him. Now notice what God doesn't say. God doesn't say, I'll make a lover for him. God doesn't say, I'll make a provider for him. God doesn't say, I'm going to make a mother for his kids for him. Now we know that a woman is all those things and much, much more. But that's not originally what God said he created woman to be. God said, I'll make him a helper, comparable, suitable, fitting for Adam. And that way, when life gets too hard to bear, when things get too tough, there'll be a helper there. So God created this helping relationship for Adam and for Eve and for every human being that would follow in their footsteps. The foundation upon which marriage is built is helping one another. Helping one another. Now, we all experience times when things don't go the way we planned. We all experience times when something happens and that we didn't count on and our world gets turned upside down. And we go through struggles and challenges and hard times. We all go through those times. But God has provided a remarkable remedy for those who are in marriage. We have a helper. In a hopeless situation, your your helper can breathe words of hope into your life. In a joyless situation, your helper can encourage you and bring joy into your life. Marriage. Marriage is a man and a woman. Somebody say amen. Marriage is a man and a woman helping each other to survive and make it through the difficulties of life. And that's what God said Eve was to be for Adam, and Adam was to be for Eve. God saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, and his solution was to provide a helper that was just right for him. But no suitable helper was found. God looked over his creation and no suitable helper 
was found. So notice there in verse 20, the Bible says, but for Adam there was not found a helper comparable, a helper suitable, a helper fitting for him. Now y'all, that's kind of interesting because of all those animals that were inhabiting the Garden of Eden, all those living creatures that surrounded Adam, surely they had some help for Adam. Certainly they could be some help to Adam. I mean, if you're not very fast, grab a horse and ride it, and you're going to be faster, right? Grab a pair of oxen and put a yoke on them, and man, they'll plow a field for you. I mean, just if you get thirsty, milk a cow. Amen? So animals have some help. They can be some help, but not in the same way that Eve was to be Adam's helper. You see, this unique helping relationship that marriage was intended to be built upon, none of those animals could satisfy that. Only Eve. Men, are you seeing how special your lady is? No one else could satisfy that but her. And so, when God presents Eve to Adam in verse 23, Adam looks at Eve, and he's got a little glint in his eye, y'all. He said, now God... This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Loosely translated, Adam says, Whoa, boy! Lord, you done it now! My heavens, Lord! I didn't know that you could create something so perfect for me. Lord, she's fine. Amen. I said it was loosely translated, amen. And guess what, though? God presents Eve to Adam, and all of a sudden, Adam's loneliness is gone. His loneliness is gone. And in verse 24, the Bible says, therefore. It's a big word, because that word therefore means, in other words, this is the way it's going to be from here on out. Therefore. A man will leave his father and mother. He will be joined, united to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. I'll never forget a devotion that Brother Kyle Word shared many years ago with the Covenant Marriage Life Group. And there was three words that summarized verse 24. Leave cleave and weave leave your father and mother cleave to your wife and weave your lives together until you become one flesh you see in a real marriage y'all god performs a miracle he takes two people and he makes one that's a miracle amen i once thought how amazing it would be to have a wife who thought just like me. 
How amazing it would be to have a wife who shared my opinions in everything. I thought how amazing it would be to have a wife who would never, ever disagree with me. Sweetie, I didn't find it, did it, darling? <laughs> See, Janet doesn't always agree with me, and I don't always agree with her. But you know what? That's okay. Because she's mine. She's the one that God has created for me. I believe that's exactly what God wanted for us. You see, especially in marriage, two are always better than one. Two are always better than one. And husbands especially find themselves much more well-rounded with a helper of God's creation. When couples have a different opinion, it leads us to re-examine what we think, to re-examine our own ideas, and then maybe make proper corrections. I'm always making proper corrections, amen? But in the course of finding a suitable helper, here's important, something important, young people. This is for y'all. In the course of finding a suitable helper, you must seek God's choice. You cannot seek what you want. You must seek what God wants for your life. It's so sad to see in the passion of dating a guy and a girl ignoring God's guidelines. It's heartbreaking. They take marriage behavior, but they ain't married yet. They fall in love, if that's such a thing. They plunge into marriage, and then they wonder why problems arise. Could it be you didn't seek God's choice? Young people, y'all listen up. I believe that God has chosen your spouse. God has chosen your helper. He has chosen your mate. Your task, your task is to find the one God has chosen for you. That's your job. Not the one you want, the one God wants for you. And even when you marry God's choice, even when you marry God's choice of a helper for you, you will likely find that there will be times when you disagree. But that's okay. That's okay. God is still working on both of you. Both of us are still under construction. God is still making us both more like Jesus every day. Now, the basic mistake that many married couples make is they decide that, hey, man, if we don't agree, then we might as well just call the whole thing off. We don't agree or we have a disagreement, and so we might as well just bail out of this thing. But I got to tell you, that's not true. 
That's not true. When we handle disagreements, when we handle heartache properly, then you find out how God really intended marriage to be. Strong. Vibrant. Right? Overcoming. Growing together. So, we need to make sure that we're seeking God's choice. So from the very beginning, we saw that God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. And his solution was to provide a helper, but no suitable helper was found. So guess what God did? He said, if I can't find one, I'll make one. And so God made a helper perfect for Adam. Perfect for him. And he made her, listen to me, he made her in God's own image. My final word today comes actually from chapter 1, verse 27. Where the New Living Translation says it this way, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Can I tell you, with the utmost confidence this morning, that neither the husband nor the wife are made any more in the likeness of God than the other. Somebody say amen. Neither the husband nor the wife is exalted above the other. Neither the husband nor the wife is placed below the other. They're both made in the image of God. But you wonder, with all that equality, why did nearly one million marriages end in divorce last year? I hear people say, well, the, the biggest problem in marriages today is a lack of communication. Can I tell you that I disagree with that? The real problem is not a lack of communication. The real problem is what we're communicating. Husbands, what are you communicating to your wife? Wives, what are you communicating to your husbands? Far too often, we communicate anger, discontent, criticism, sarcasm. And I'll tell you something, those kind of words will tear down a marriage every time. But, if we communicate forgiveness, love, acceptance, encouragement, friend, then you have a solid foundation and the makings of a marriage that will last forever. It's what you're communicating. There will be times when your commitment may wane. There will be times, friend, when you want to say, I'll love you until... There may be times when you put conditions on just how committed you're willing to be. There will be times when each one of you makes mistakes. And the only way to overcome all of that is to place your faith and your trust in the all-knowing, all-powerful God that you serve. We've got to have faith. That God will knock down those mountains that are too high to climb. 
we got to have faith, friend, that God will fill the valleys so that we can walk through them. We've got to believe that God will walk with us through those rocky places in our lives. We've got to have the confidence that God goes before us and somehow, some way, he's going to make a way. Friend, that's the only way that marriage is going to work. God said, I made them both in my image. I made them both in my image. You know what that means? That means that both of them, the husband and the wife, have the capacity to love like God. We have the capacity, but are we willing to love like God? When you look at the love of God, we discover that he surrendered everything for the ones he loved. He gave his one and only son for the ones that he loved. Part of God's plan for marriage, I believe, is that we have the willingness to surrender everything for the object of our love. First and foremost, God. Are you willing to surrender everything for God? And if you're in marriage, are you willing to surrender everything for your spouse? Jesus loved us so totally, so completely, that he surrendered his life. Can't give any more than that. And here's what he said. He said, if you'll believe in me, if you'll believe who I am, if you'll believe what I did, if you'll believe how I proved my love for you on the cross, you can enjoy a relationship with God that'll last throughout eternity. Do you believe? Do you believe? Have you trusted Christ as your own Savior to ensure your eternal life. Do you want a relationship with God? We print it in our bulletin every week. It's as simple as A, B, C. If you want a relationship with God, you've got to begin by admitting you've got a sin problem. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all got that same sin problem. B is you've got to believe who Jesus is and what Jesus did for you. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And C, you've got to be willing to confess your faith in him as Lord, the boss of your life. If you're willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved from the penalty of sin. You want to be saved today? Can be. Do you want to be assured that your home is in heaven today? You can be. Do you want an incredible, vibrant relationship with God today? You can have it. Maybe you're ready to follow your faith in the first step of obedience in baptism. We're already planning our next trip to the water, February 25th. We already have three that are going to be baptized for sure. 
Maybe when you were baptized. Back during vacation Bible school or back in the youth group. Did you really know what baptism was all about then? I'm not trying to talk you out of your faith or out of your baptism. That's not here what I'm here to do. All I'm saying is, is did you know? Do you know how important it is to take that first step of obedience? Do you know why today you should follow through in obedience? Whatever decision that God has placed on your heart, I want you to know we're here to support you in every way that we can. We want to honor God. And we want to obey him, don't we? That being said, let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you so much for your desire to save every man. But perhaps we have a new perspective on this beautiful, beautiful creation that you made called marriage. Lord, help us to receive the gift of marriage, but also to cherish it and to nourish it and to, to, to bless it and to ask your blessing upon it. Father, if there's anyone here who is ready to make a decision for Christ, Father, let them come forth being encouraged by your word and trusting that it's as simple as ABC. Father, thank you for this church and for what it means and what it is doing for you. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that great and mighty things are yet to come as we humble ourselves and surrender our all to the Lord our God. Lord, you bless this decision time and let it be used for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing. Amen.